You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. So I'm excited to have a conversation today with my friend Zoran. I'm going to get you to pronounce your last name because I always stumble over it. But yep. uh, Zoran and I met probably eight or nine years ago, just after I moved to Edmonton from Vancouver. And we've been kind of flowing in some of the same circles over the last few years. Uh, Zoran's uh, very much into personal development, spirituality, growth of all kinds. I know that he's has a, a strong passion for yoga and for music, and uh, in part, uh, the projects that he's been working on are connected to those things. And I'm excited to welcome him on to the show and to get into what he's been up to and hopefully share some value for the audience. So thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Welcome to my home. Yeah, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is neat. This is the first the first podcast I've done since the pandemic landed that wasn't a Zoom yeah. uh, call. And it, it's just so interesting to, to feel this sense of, I don't feel like trepidation. It doesn't feel like fear mm. to me, but I do feel a, a, like a, an amplification of awareness and sensitivity around being in people's spaces, being close to people. And uh, my hope is that we can all return to being together in a way that doesn't have us as a default feel like we need to distance ourselves, even though I know that that's sort of the, the, the advice we're getting right now is that mm -hmm. um, we're not really built to be separate. We're built to be very much together. So it's just been interesting. Yeah. Um, I know um, Alicia and I have been doing everything that we can to be safe. And so be because I feel safe in my home and I know that we, um, you know, take the time to clean it and stuff that welcoming you in made sense. Um, that especially in the occasion of like this, of having an intimate conversation where I felt, um, it just felt right to have you in my home and that we can, kind of put that fear outside and out of our mind and, uh, know that, um, we are, we are going to be safe and we're going to be able to get through this and have a conversation and, you know, know that we're healthy because there are things that I'm doing in my life that I know that are aiding in my immunity. And, uh, there are just some beliefs and some, um, things about fear that I just don't allow myself to get into that, um, you know, may be appealing to a lot of other people. And, and so, um, yeah, so we can just continue on and have fun with what we're doing. Yeah. And that brings up, I think, an interesting point that is really worth talking about. Uh, is it's about the, the interplay between something like a virus and uh, a human being's natural ability to receive the virus and work with it and, and defend against the threats that it might pose. And uh, I feel like there's been a real lack of, of open dialogue about that part. And I'm not even necessarily saying that I know for sure that the social distancing is, is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I just know that the, there is a kind of chemical interaction between the virus and a human system and the strength and vitality of that human system has so much to do with the impact that virus is going to have. And, and so what does that mean? We know that chronic stress is one of the biggest 
uh, influencers of, of, of a depleted immune system, that, mm -hmm. that it degrades the immune system. And so fear has a role. Fear is there to let us know that there is something that, that's calling for our awareness and our care. And if we spend all of our time in the fear zone, it's toxic. And so, yeah, how to balance those, I think that's been a question that, that's been rolling around in me since the pandemic started. Yeah, luckily for myself um, is that I'm, I'm in a place where I have a lot of access to different herbs and natural remedies. And I know that's kind of a trigger um, topic because there's such an emphasis on trusting science and trusting the medical community and everything that they do, which is amazing. You know, like um, I broke my arm when I was 16 and, you know, I quickly had it fixed because of the medical industry and I have a functioning arm because of that. And I'm super grateful for that. And what I've gone into in my own research um, with having Alicia um, providing herbal remedies in her business is that I've noticed that in the kind of nutrition model that is largely left out. When you look at the food pyramid, there's really nothing that states or emphasizes um, having these kind of different herbs in your diet. And so what I've looked into is that, you know, 100 or 200 years ago, there was an emphasis on herbology to some degree where people were planting their own gardens. And so they had a, a freedom of choosing how they wanted to um, balance out their diet. So you have this emphasis on having kind of like a quarter herbs and three quarter food, where now it's all food and there's really nothing about herbs other than like your little teas here and there to help you sleep. So what I've taken upon myself is to look at my diet and say, okay, I'm going to take more medicinal mushrooms. I'm going to take a variety of different herbs. Um, I'm going to take the tinctures that Alicia makes because compared to just like a raw leaf and something that's concentrated, you're going to get four to five times more potency. So in that research, I've looked at how these herbs can be beneficial to the immune system. And so when you have something like a pandemic that's sweeping through the nation and you have a majority of people who aren't readily supplementing their body with all these different powerful herbs and they're living in environments that are uh, like latent with pollution and of course there's there's going to be challenges and there's going to be health risks and so I've looked at just personally the factors in my life in my environment you know we live in a city with a clean river gen like Generally, uh, we have lower levels of pollution. I have access to these different herbs and um, like we can go outside and be in a river valley, right? So there are these elements and these factors that I found, well, can that mean for me personally that I'm not gonna be affected by this virus? And that, you know, compared to something like a city like New York, where everyone is crammed and everyone's living on top of each other, that we're not in New York. And so our levels are going to be completely different. 
And so that fear around it was much less just in my mind because I took account of all those variables and I was like, oh, well, there's so many more pros to me continually or continuously living my life the way that I have been and still being respectful. You know, if I go into a grocery store, I'm going to sanitize my hands. Um, I may not go as far as always wearing a mask, but... I'll still respect it when I need to, mm-hmm. right? If someone's going to come up to me and I'm in a store and they're like, you have to wear this. I'm just going to be like, okay, you know, like I'll put it on and I'll, I'll do my thing. Um, but I found that it hasn't affected like my spirit, you know, mm-hmm. like it hasn't caused this paranoia or um, this fear. If anything, it's actually got me to, look into all the information that's present like on all sides of the spectrum right and to make um, a kind of judgment for myself that what it comes down to is be as loving as possible and that's really what like the foundation of my life has been in in the yoga that I do in the meditation and just my own practice Hmm. cool I mean a question that comes up for me is there's, there's so many things out there to help, to mm-hmm. make your life better. And, you know, you're talking about herbs. And I think there's, there's probably a, a bunch of camps around herbs. Like some people are like, herbs, garbage. Like, forget about it. It's all nonsense. Yeah. Some people think it's going to cure absolutely everything under the sun. And then everything in between those two. And, and I think a question that comes to me, and I know, you know, I grew up in an environment where alternative medicines and alternative approaches to to well-being and to addressing challenges of life were plentiful. So um, I'm oriented that way. Mm-hmm. And I have this, uh, you know, I'm an interesting person where I feel like I straddle those worlds quite well. I, I have no problem including science. Like the example you used about your arm is perfect. Mm-hmm. Some things about the modern medical system are amazing. You know, that we're talking about someone who is a, a paraplegic being able to walk again because of the advancements in science like that's awesome and it's a very blunt instrument when you when it comes to the ongoing sustainable health of a human system which is unimaginably complex and Mm -hmm. and doesn't doesn't really benefit from like a sledgehammer approach which is like a mechanistic that's the problem we'll cut it out or we'll change it or we'll move it it's like, no, no, this is a living system. So I'm just curious, uh, you know, Alicia's your partner yeah. um, and, and you two are really exploring all of, all of the ways to, to come to full health, uh, wellness. What do you do to ensure, because there's snake oil salesmen out there. There's yeah. people that are selling complete nonsense. And, and so I think people that might be listening would be asking, well, how do I know the difference? Yeah, and that's really valuable to ask. And what I've done is I've, I've looked at the degree of severity of anything, right? If you're looking at something physical, something psychological, mental, emotional, that for me, I've never had a severe, um, like kind of case of something of a mental disorder, right? So I know if I were to, have an experience where I'm, you know, having manic depressive issues or bipolar or something that 
you know, going into psychology and going into the psychiatric world is going to help to some degree, right? And there are answers that they're going to have that say, um, like, some herbs aren't going to have the answer for, right? Because the um, pharmaceutical industry is, is creating these concoctions at such a potency, and they have these scientists that are working in a way to directly influence that part of the brain. And so when I think of the alternative health, that there's a science around it that has been lost. And that is because of the current materialistic um, science that is dominant now. And, and that's totally fine. That's just how things are, right? So when I think about taking different herbs and I think about um, what it can do for me, I think about what my just natural state is when if um, just from like knowing that my parents didn't have any heart conditions or brain conditions or mental health issues that it's okay for me to explore herbal remedies that are going to have a kind of emphasis on longevity, right? So if I know through, say, like Paul Stamets, that these certain mushrooms are going to help with um, preventing dementia and preventing Alzheimer's and helping with cognitive abilities and memory because of the studies that they've done, and that it's not something that you just take, and all of a sudden, your memory is 50% better than it is. It's, oh, you have to take this every day now for six months, Right. And I think that's what people have a challenge grasping or wanting to explore because the scientific community and the, and the medical industry with pharmaceuticals have given something that can be a remedy right away. Mm. Right. And so if someone has more of a severe case of a, of, um, a mental illness, they don't want to hear that it's going to take a year or two for them to finally get to the point where they're not having suicidal thoughts or um, that they're not in a deep depression. You know, they want to hear from their doctor, like, take this in four to six weeks, you'll be better. Right. And so I think that's okay. And I, and I think that's valuable in those cases. And so what I want to advocate is that if, someone listening to this is on that extreme like realm of what they're experiencing. Yes. Go get the proper help. If you're not, and you don't think you need a pharmaceutical and that you can go into the realm of alternative medicine because you can wait the six to eight months, the year to actually take something to build on it, then, then totally explore it. Because the thing about alternate medicines and, and herbology and, and mushrooms is that there are side effects other than what you're actually looking for that are going to cause other benefits. And the thing with, um, pharmaceuticals and like, I'm obviously not professional in this. Like these are from conversations of friends that I've had, like a friend of mine who was on 70 different pharmaceuticals at once. He went through 70 different pharmaceuticals and he has a website of a list of all of them. Right. And 
So the conversations I've had with him is like, okay, why did you have to do that? It's because one pharmaceutical had this side effect, then this other pharmaceutical countered that one, then it had this side effect, and then this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and then suddenly he's taking 10 to 12 different pills every day in different successions just to bring him back to a normal state, right? So what I find with the herbology side is that there's... A, more of a gentleness to it. And I think people mistake the gentleness for a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, so something like psilocybin, where we typically know it for um, the large dose psychedelic experience, where a lot of studies with Paul Stamets now is indicating that very, very small dosages are actually much more powerful because of the kind of effect where the large dose psychedelic experience is a kind of burst out of the brain where the very, very minute, small amount of like less than 0.1 grams is actually coding the nerve ending and repairing it. And so in his work, he's showing that after about 68 months, you have nearly a complete repair of the neurons in the brain and there's value in that right so it's a very gentle subtle fix and it's quite powerful but it takes the time to actually do it and so for me i've just rearranged my belief systems to allow for the patience to occur right and so sure in my world and my mental health I'm going to get angry about things. I'm going to be sensitive about things. And um, I'm not going to blame these herbs for not working because of that. That's just because I'm a human. and That's my condition. However, when I look at my drive for the purpose and the, the way I want to live my life, I have those herbs to thank because they have been helping me to kind of shift away from certain foods, um, certain ideas, and and really fine-tune my life. Because the more I'm fine-tuning my diet and fine-tuning all these different concoctions, then it's just a kind of ripple effect in the rest of my life, I think. Mm. Cool. Can you kind of pinpoint what set you out on this path, you know, the path of of wanting to really invest time and energy and resources in understanding and then to start to guide other people in this path of, you know, enlightenment and wellness and wholeness. What, what started you? Yeah. Um, when I was in my later teens, so after I broke my arm, I went into a depression without really knowing it. And the, the event of breaking my arm caused not only a physical trauma that I did everything I can to like block out and the adrenaline. And I kind of was telling my friends around, oh yeah, I'm fine. Like nothing happened. Right. But I severely broke my arm. Like I broke both bones, compound fractured. And afterwards, my dream of going to pursue snowboarding more and more and like going into competitions that all went away because I 
so harshly um, denied my ability to be able to do that afterwards. And what it led to is this kind of synchronicity of um, hitting a growth spurt and not gaining any weight and being unhealthily skinny to the point where I was almost borderline anorexic. And I just, I couldn't see that and I couldn't recognize it um, because of this kind of depression that I was in and the way that I suppressed all of that through really intense video games, uh, gaming and smoking a lot of cannabis. Um, and, and it took a few years to finally look at myself in the mirror, take a look at my posture, see how hunched over I was, see how skinny I was, um, and see all these other problems that I had, like really intense acne, and it just all compiled at once. That finally led me to question what I was doing. And then it was a very gradual process. Um, because the patterns that I had of the way that I was eating, the way that I was behaving, um, uh, like drinking regularly and, um, finding the information was a journey and really over the last 10 years of researching a lot of esoteric material, getting into yoga and meditation and finally recognizing that I could make one change in my diet that will help with creating a kind of snowball effect. And what it, what it was, was deciding to become a vegetarian. And that was I think around 2013. And from there, I sought out all the different kind of modalities of, of changing my diet. So I started with Ayurveda that didn't really work for me. I just didn't, didn't really make sense. Um, but then when Nourish opened as well, they had all these arrays of superfoods. So it was the introduction of superfoods into my life that like really um, kind of blew the lid on what kind of capabilities I had in, in changing my lifestyle through that kind of diet. So, and you know, it was just so wonderful to go into a place that already had things made, you know, all the elixirs and everything. It's like, I didn't really have to think too much about, okay, I have to buy this book. Now I have to go and buy these ingredients. Now I have to like get this blender. Now I, you know, there's all these different things where it was just so convenient to have a place that was like, oh yeah, this does this. And then you can take it right. And then from there, buying all the different products like spirulina and chlorella and the mushroom blends and all the different teas and stuff. Yeah. And did you notice, like, what did you notice in your body and your energy? How, you know, it sounds like there was a real light bulb for you, yeah. like a lightning bolt. And so uh, I'm just imagining that, that some things that you'd been working with or struggling with for a while shifted and changed along with the introduction of those foods. So what did you notice happening? So one was weight gain. So I noticed that I was gaining weight, which is in a good, in a way, in a good way. You're yeah, like, yeah, I'm gaining weight. Because right now. not a lot of people. At my lowest, when I was like 
maybe like 19 or 20, I was like 128 pounds, 130 pounds. So six foot two, 130 pounds is like gaunt. Right. And so to finally get to a point where like, you know, you know, three, four five years later, I'm up to like 150 and I'm practicing yoga regularly. So it was really a meshing together of, of having regular exercise and having a cleaner diet that really allowed me to start feeling comfortable and confident in my body. Cause that was the one thing that, um, I just lost because when I was a child, I was really active and I was really confident with myself with all the sports that I was playing. Like there was nothing in me that I was like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. So as soon as I broke my arm, that shifted. I didn't want to do any of that anymore. Um, so I finally got back to this, like, yes, now I have this new thing in my life, yoga, and I have this new diet in my life and this confidence came back and I'm like, finally, you know, like I'm good at something again and I feel really great. Um, and so it just made sense to, to pursue it more and more. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And can you say anything about the journey since that shift in terms of, and I know you've spent time in South America. Yeah. Uh, I know you've worked with some different uh, medicines, uh, very much deep dive into yoga. Anything that stands out in terms of that journey that you think people might benefit from or that for you feel like highlights of your journey so far? Yeah. So what I notice happening is um, a small change in lifestyle can seem challenging or it can seem burdensome. You know, I think really around diet, there's an addiction around the comfort of certain foods and the memories that we have of like Thanksgiving dinners and, and all these things like, um, our favorite fast food places and how we, when we were children, we played, you know, there's, there's all this, um, these, these points of reference that lead up to, well, I can't do that because, you know, it's too expensive, right? So then there's a slip in of an excuse where the decision for me to change my diet, introduce yoga, all of a sudden got this avalanche going and this like snowball effect of providing opportunities that would not have been provided for if I stayed in that little bubble of my realm of my comforts. And, you know, it's seemingly cliche to say, you know, you have to step out of your comfort zone. Um, Cliches are there for a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so even just making one small change, like for me, deciding not to eat meat anymore, um, can be a huge catalyst. Mm. Right. Um, so what I feel happens to me is that making those changes and taking on new learning opportunities, especially with something like yoga, it's just such a wealth of information and wisdom. There's a lot to learn. So when you actually start to, dive into it, there's a reciprocation that you will be guided to go to different places. And for each person, it's going to be completely different. Maybe for one person, it's to 
go and do a retreat in Mexico, right? You go to a, you start changing your diet, you start doing yoga, you go to a yoga studio, you meet this person, you become friends with that person. Six months later to a year later, they invite you to this retreat in Mexico and it works out just perfectly because you saved up time in your work and suddenly you have a week vacation. You go to Mexico, you have a blast. Suddenly, three, four months later, there's... Uh, a yoga teacher training and you're fed up with your job and you saved up all this money. So like there's this synchronicity effect that starts to happen. And, and that's just one example. So for me, there was this synchronicity effect where when I started doing yoga and I started changing my lifestyle, I met a woman named Blair and her partner at the time, Asaf, and they were these two yoga teachers out of a school in Thailand. And I went to their workshop. I invited them into my apartment to teach yoga. We did yoga together for three to four months. And then they were like, yeah, we are going back to Thailand. And right in that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm going. I didn't have money saved up. I didn't have any plan. Asaf even said to me, he's like, oh, it's going to be expensive. Like, do you have money saved up? I was like, nah. And two weeks later, my dad calls me. He's like, oh, yeah, we just got this, like, awesome job of doing the metal siding on a hotel. And I ended up in two months raising all the money I needed to go and spend two months in Thailand, right? And so the trick is how to follow the synchronicity and how to trust it. Because I think there's a lack of trust because it seems like it's coming out of nowhere. However, once we shift the it's coming out of nowhere into I decided that, then each time you make a decision that is outside of that comfort, the synchronicity is going to provide opportunity. And once you recognize that there's a relationship between the two, then you start to have a sensitivity of whether or not that opportunity is going to be beneficial to you because sometimes they're not right. And sometimes you have to say no to things, but in the case of doing something healthy for your life, more often than not, that opportunity is going to be great for you, regardless of what other people say, you know, like I left for two months and I was operating a business with my brother and there was nothing that he can say to stop me. I was just like, yeah, I'm going. I have my plane ticket. I'm doing it. I still have my job when I came back, right? So um, there's so much value in knowing that everything will be okay mm. once you make that decision. Yeah, and it, for me, I, I, I'm always in a way looking, how could someone misunderstand this? Mm -hmm. Because... It's sort of like the, the snake oil salesman piece. There are people out there that, that have a part of the truth or actually don't have a clue, but they're just looking to leverage for some vested interest, some self-interest. And so it's easy to, to misinterpret. And, and some people actually want you to misinterpret so they can sell you something or take advantage of you. And so, you know, the, the, devil's advocate part of me says, okay, well, just because something goes your way doesn't mean that's the way you should go. So mm -hmm. like an example would be, 
you you are single for a while and then you really want a partner and then you meet someone and your heart explodes that alone to me doesn't mean that that's the relationship for you because there's all sorts of reasons your heart explodes when you meet someone yeah some of those are really good and deeply aligned with truth some of those are about your dysfunctional conditioning from your past and the difference is sometimes way less than we think and so, you know, I'm just curious along your journey where you've discovered these truths around manifestation and trusting, mm -hmm. trusting that when you're clear about something, the path will reveal itself. Um, is there anything you've discovered around the discernment of, of how you know you're on the path and, and when maybe it seems like it's great, but actually you're, you're on your way to disaster or it's just a rabbit hole that you're not meant to go down. Is there any, any discoveries you've made around that discernment? Yeah. Um, that I've failed a lot. And once I started to look at my relationship to failure and the people in my life that were noticeably toxic and the people that were in my life that really wanted to help me, um, that I could only attribute that failure to myself, that it really, it wasn't because of anyone else outside of me. Like for example, I was in Grand McEwen University. I started in 2019. And at that time, I had a group of childhood friends that were just not the best people to hang out with. And I was prioritizing hanging out with them than actually doing the like brunt of my university work. And I was not doing well in university. And so I would sabotage myself by thinking that everything's going to be okay. Ah, it's, everything's going to be okay. I'll study and I'll, and I'll do it. And then I would go play poker. I would hang out with these friends and smoke weed and drink. And then the final or the midterm or the paper would come and I'm just stressing out. And which led to me not having any interest in university anymore. And what started to happen is that I was introduced to the community that I met you in. And it was around the same time I was really getting into yoga. And I saw that um, these group of friends that were a catalyst to me not paying attention to university and just like how kind of toxic they were when really they just had a lifestyle that I was growing out of. And so I made a conscious choice to shift from being in their lives to being in the lives of this new group of people. And so what that also meant was that I had to also let go of the university because then if I were to also choose the university, it would mean letting go of this other group of friends. So there's always this like give and take, mm. right? And I had this really amazing meditation one morning where I was presented with that option. Like this like guiding voice came in and was like, 
you have two options here. You either go to university back or go back to university full time. You finish your degree or you continue your business with your brother. You go to India and do your 300 hour teacher training. And I was sitting there and I thought to myself, well, I want to do both. And the voice is like, no, you can't <laughs> like you, there's no way. Right. Because the university, like you literally have to do five classes a term in order to finish it in two years. That means 18 hours a day, every day of studying and, and schoolwork, you won't have any time for this new group of friends that you have. So what will it be? And I didn't know what to choose. And the voice, like the guiding presence inside me chose for me and was like, yeah, you're not going to university anymore. You're going to India. And that helped facilitate creating all these new bonds and all these great experiences with a whole new group of people. Because if I didn't go to India and I went to school, I wouldn't have met Samarpan. And chances are you wouldn't have interviewed him in the podcast, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So there's all these neat synchronicities, even though I kind of had to make a sacrifice, right? And where like, you know, a skeptic can be like, well, you know, that group of friends like influenced a possibility of you having like this degree and having like a academic life. And I can say, sure right? Like they could have been the snake oil charmer, right? They could have been the snake oil salesman and um, convinced me to do something that may not be the best. But where that decision came from wasn't actually from those group of people, it was something from within myself. Mm -hmm. Because that group of people and those friends didn't know that, right? So there's no way for them to actually consciously affect that. And what I see the benefit is, is um, like I prevented myself having $50,000 of debt and um, to then have this amazing experience in India of doing a teacher training that um, was the synchronicity for me to start writing my book, right? So um, the paths are there and you're more than welcome to choose which one you want to choose. And there's always gonna be a downside and it's, important to kind of remedy that downside with a kind of optimism where you say to yourself, you know what, you know, I'm ready to go on this path and I'm okay with that. I'm okay that I didn't get a degree. Um, and I'm okay with being more of an entrepreneur. And that's what it really laid out for me. And could it possibly mean at some point in my life I go back because it's always there? Sure. I'm just not focusing on that. And I've seen that the travels that I've done, the work that I've done has been immensely fulfilling. And I'm now feeling myself on this like new level and this new edge of growing even more mm -hmm. um, that I don't think I would have gotten or... I actually now know that I would not have gotten in the university, right? Yeah, I mean, I hear you talking about, in some ways, having the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to become what you're able to become as a kind of compass point for the decision-making, mm -hmm. uh, where something might be easier or more familiar or more comfortable, but the opportunity to grow isn't as much. And so yeah, that's one of the barometers that I've used 
in when I'm at a crossroads and it really doesn't feel clear to me which way. Um, if I don't have a deeper sense that's just clear, I often go, where am I going to learn the most? Yeah. What's my greatest opportunity to learn and grow? That's, that's a good one. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about while you were speaking is what I hear is that there is this relationship between surrender and responsibility that really is about walking the path and, and you need to do both. Mm -hmm. you, you can't try to control it all and you can't sit back like you're a passive observer because that's not living. And so to balance surrender to what is real and true and, and the, the momentum and direction of that true movement in our lives and to take responsibility for being a full participant in that. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know where the lineage is, but I'm going to just tell the story. Uh, you may have heard it already, but it's one of my favorites. And so uh, essentially there's a, there's a teacher and, and this teacher has an apprentice and they travel a lot. And the apprentice is, is often quite nervous, worried that things aren't going to work out. And the teacher is often saying to the apprentice, trust in Allah, tr trust in God. It's, it's actually all going to be okay. Often, 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 that's the lesson. Trust in God, trust in God. And at some point, they're in the middle of the desert and they need to stop and set up camp. And so the, the teacher is quite tired. He sets up his tent and he says, I'm going to go to sleep, you know, to take care of the camp and I'll see you in the morning. So in the morning, the, the, the teacher gets up and looks around, calls the apprentice. The apprentice comes and the, and the teacher says, where are the camels? And the this, this student says, I, I, I don't know, I left them over there. And the teacher says, well, did you, did you tie them up? And the student says, no, I, I just, I did what you said. I trusted in God. <laughs> and the teacher <laughs> shakes his head and he says, Yes, trust in God, but first tether the camels. <laughs> and so I like, I tell this story and I love that story because a lot of people don't want to be, take responsibility mm -hmm. for what's theirs, for what's in their hands, for what's in their life. And, and I totally believe in that kind of surrendered trust to a higher power, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I'm entirely uh, connected to that, the truth of that. And there is something for us to take care of. And, and it's not small, mm -hmm. this movement of, of, of responsibility through our lives. And so, yeah, I, I've just benefited so much from, from that combination of surrender and responsibility. Yeah. In my meditation, when I was evaluating whether or not to go to university or to continue um, my life as a businessman, the voice asked me a really particular question that caught me off guard. It asked, who are you doing this for? And I thought to myself, well, it's for me. And the voice was like, no, you're doing it for your dad. And it immediately brought back, brought me back to times where my dad was telling me how important an education was and that I need to go to university and that at the time, because I was just a teenager and I had really no point of reference to really think about anything beyond the first, like next like two years of my life in high school, that it was really easy for me to say, yeah, of course, of course I'm going to do that. And so I was faced with this point of reclaiming 
my own power to set up the trajectory of my life. And even though it meant continuing this kind of family business, that the family business was supplementing uh, the income that I needed to actually continue my yoga journey. And, and so I chose my path in that moment. And it brought me to India and it brought me to this really amazing experience. And so that was me tethering the camel, you know, um, otherwise if I would have continued a decision that wasn't my own, I would have let go of that, of, uh, what was actually allowing me to safely travel. Right. Um, in a kind of a metaphor that, now I've been more and more sensitive to those decisions and that when it comes to something that can be quite life altering, I really look at what influences there are because we may not even know that there's something behind it that comes from somewhere else, our parents, our siblings, a teacher, and, and so even I, I find like, even after doing the 300 hour teacher training and being trained in a really particular style and continuing practicing that where I know that where I'm going in my life also isn't being influenced by my teacher because he wouldn't want that either. Right. So I, I really make sure that I, I think to myself, okay, well, you know, I'm really getting into gardening and I really love it. You know, where is that coming from? And it's noticeably coming in uh, from somewhere deeper that's like more ancestral and more part of my heritage. And that is what's meaningful to me. And so I keep going with it. Yeah. And so you're, you're referring to a kind of depth of where the... Cause we all have voices in our heads. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think it, we can be scared of that or we can just realize that there's just lots of chatter. There's lots of noise. There's lots of thoughts going on in our head. Many of them are not ours. Mm -hmm. Many of them are mom, dad, uncle, boss, teacher, coach. Yeah. And, and that's not even a bad thing. It's just good to know that we've got a lot of voices going on in our heads. And are there voices that are more trustworthy than others? And that, that to me is a really good question for us to ask is, are there, are there voices and sources of information within us that are deeper, more trustworthy, more accurate? And then if we can start to see that that's the case, can we start to notice what the differences are? And then what you spoke to, which I resonate with is there's a depth mm -hmm. that, that if, if there was a singular voice that, that holds the truth for us, it comes from way deep down. It's mm -hmm. not some passing uh flavor of thought it's it's like oh this is it that's that's often what my voice says this is it yeah and in that experience it wasn't like you said like passing right like it was a presence mm -hmm. like i'm i do these particular meditations of of really going into my heart and just allowing myself to be in its space where i don't have any interrupting thoughts and so to be in that space and all of a sudden 
this voice come in is is a signal to me that I've I've touched something and that I've I'm in a dialogue with something in that space that is inherently me and also beyond me. Mm-hmm. And so that's where two things I think can happen where if if you're a beginner to it it's startling or if you're used to it it's comforting. And so for me um it was a little bit of a combination of both and it was really easy for me to actually trust it because I leaned into the side of the comfort of knowing that this voice knows something deeper about me that when I'm just in my day-to-day conscious mode and on the surface of just how I'm operating it's getting into something underneath that no one outside of me is ever going to get and so that is a relationship that I think is just inherently missing in day to day and in, in, in most people. And so what I've really learned to do and um, really strive to do is to be in that state and be in that place as much as possible. So not only in just seated meditation, but also in conversations where I can take a moment of just closing my eyes and feeling like I'm in that space because then the quality of the conversation is going to be guided by that inner trust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and for me, there's been a lot of, uh, models for me, mentors and, and experiences that have tapped me back into that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the more you're in it, the more, you know, how trustworthy it is and the more it can kind of flavor the way you move in your life. That, yeah. that to me is, you know, from yoga, the whole concept of, uh, off the mat. It's like, yeah, okay. So there's, there's the yoga you do, uh, as a practice on your mat. And then there's the life you're living and actually they're not separate. It's, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're writing a book. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to hear a little bit about what it is and what the process of writing a book was like. I, I wrote a book a few years ago, so uh, I have a sense of it. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to hear more. So first, it is a sort of autobiography. Um, throughout my life, I've experienced these little phenomena that no one has really been able to provide answers for, especially when I was a child. And so I just knew that there was something innate about me that allowed for these phenomenal experiences to happen. And and typically they're internal. It's not that like I'm levitating things or like I'm seeing like balls of light and stuff. It's more um, sort of prophetic dreams. It's It's having these neat interactions with visions that has led to me question who I am and what I'm here for to the point where it all added to the desire to seek a deeper understanding of spirituality. And so what it has led me to really focus in on, um, especially with my yoga practice is to develop my own meditation and my intention around it is not that I want to be kind of like a leader and cutting edge of creating this whole new meditation that's different from everyone else. It's simply the idea that 
because I'm a human being and because there's this inherent sense of seeking out spirituality that there must be a capability of actually developing our own meditation personally for ourselves. And so what I've done is I've created this system that, that I use and I'm inspired to share it with others. And in that um, kind of vein of here's a structure, here's an outline, here are some practices, what now can you create out of this for yourself? And it doesn't even have to look anything like it. And I think that's what's largely missing in the yoga and the spiritual community is that there are all these teachers that are like, do my meditation. Here's my meditation. Be in my cohort and group of meditators that are following this path in this way. And I see this like um, raising of a pedestal, right? Of these teachers that are on stage and everyone's below them. And um, f for me, it's like, well, if the truth lies within the power of our heart, then if I can develop a way that we can just all go into our hearts and work on our own self-mastery from there, then there's no reason for me to be on a pedestal because I'm no different than anyone else. And there's no reason for me to elevate myself into this echelon of ascended masters and to say that what I've done is so great and here's a little glimpse of what is potential for you. It's more so here are the benefits that I've received from going into my heart. Here are a plethora of experiences that I've had in my life um, that are phenomenal experiences that, ha you know, create a great story and a wonderment of what life can be like. And this is what can be possible. And so if there's anything kind of like cutting edge that I'm wanting to do is to step away from the whole like um, master student or teacher student dynamic where if I were to do a seminar, like I'm not going to be up on a stage, you know, I'm going to be on the floor, you know, with people. And if we're going to meditate, I'm going to sit on the floor and I'm going to do it so that we're all in it together and that all of our hearts are the power in that experience. Um, and so the way that I structured my book is to first start with a phenomenal experience. So it's either a dream, um, a psychedelic experience or um, a meditative experience. And then that feeds into the kind of philosophy and um, the ideas that come out of that experience and then into the exercise and the meditation. And so the book is called Future Life Progression, Meeting Your Future Self. And I have had a few really powerful experiences of what I think I've met my future self and different variations. And so what I thought was, well, you know, if I look at someone like Tony Robbins and, you know, I look at his life and I idolize that because 
he's wealthy, you know, he's traveling, he's selling out stadiums, you know, he has this amazing life, you know, what can I do to be like Tony Robbins? But that's not you, you know, you're looking at someone that's not you at all. So what I thought was, can I interact with a version of myself that is in a position like that, but it's me. And this is where this whole future life progression comes into play is that if we can go to sleep and have a profound, phenomenal dream of being in a world that we've never seen before, seeing people that we've never seen before, it can be equally possible to go into a meditative state that is a dreamlike reality and interact with our future self. And not that we are trying to predict very key points of our life of like in two years and 30 days, what's going to happen. That's not the point. The point is to interact with this version that we feel like profoundly powerfully influenced energetically by so that when we see the clothes that they're wearing, the way that they stand, the way that they look, their hair, their skin, their eyes, their smile, that there's a persona and there's a presence that has information encoded in it so that when we interact with that version and we receive that presence that we are going to naturally instinctually lead towards that version and so i just think that that can be natural and so um the the book is really about self-mastery and, and how to to interact with that version of ourself. And so that when we come back, we're all of a sudden engaged in our life and we're like, you know what? I am going to go take that trip. And then all of a sudden we go do it and we see that um, we are moving towards that kind of future self. And what I realize is that one of the reasons why there's a psychological block, right? So when we think of tomorrow, pretty clear. Okay, well, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to work. I know where I'm going to go to work. I know where I'm going to have lunch or I pre-packed my lunch. A week from now, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to be camping and this is where I'm going to go camping. Um, three months from now, a little bit more vague. But we have an idea because maybe we have a plan for a wedding. Um and so a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, curtain. And what I've realized is that when we look into the past, we can generate the image of the past 10 years ago because we have the emotional relatability. We know how we felt. So we go, okay, when I was 10 years old and I wanted to go to the movies with my friends and my mom said no and I cried. I can remember that because I could remember the feeling of crying. When we think of ourselves in 10 years, we have no frame of reference because we cannot feel what we feel in 10 years from now. And so what this work is with going into the heart is that the heart is in a realm of unconditioned limitation. And so what this work does is it goes into the heart and it connects to the heart of that future self. And so that then we can get a glimpse through feeling how that future self feels. 
And the more and more we connect with that future self, the more and more their realm will be unveiled because it's going to take time to develop the skill. And so for me, from doing this work, um, and I know this is going to sound crazy. It even sounds crazy to me that um, I had a full on experience of having a future self come to me that was 540 years in the future. And her name is Amarelde. And she showed me her whole realm and what she does. And like, it was so amazing. And I got to felt what she feels like or feel what she feels like. And so that is what I think is missing when it comes to the idea of the future is simply, we just cannot feel what our future self feels. And until we expand our belief system and we omit the one that says the future is unknown. The future cannot be seen. Once we get rid of that, we go in the space of my heart in its unconditioned space. I am in a new realm and my capabilities as consciousness in this new realm is expansive. And so the past, present and future are now all one duration. And so if I want to see myself in 10 years from now, it's not that I have to move through that time. It is here right now. And then that future self comes. Yeah. I, I mean, for sure. Some people are going to listen and go, what's he talking about? <laughs> um, and you know, in a way that I feel like has my feet really on the ground, I love engaging these kinds of conversations mm -hmm. because, um, the science is actually there. Yeah. This is what I mean. So time is just our way of describing how matter plays, mm -hmm. right? Matter is, is in motion. Nothing is actually static or still in our universe. And time is our way to measure the movement of stuff. Yeah. But stuff isn't all of what the universe is made of. There's something that holds the stuff. There's something that contains the stuff. There's a space. There's a field. Mm-hmm. Without stuff, that field has no time. Mm -hmm. There's no so there is a there is a non-linear, non-temporal dimension of reality. It's every it's it's everywhere. Yeah, you, you you are it, and so then the question becomes: This is a question I would ask in terms of relating to what you just spoke about. Is okay. So if I'm this physical, I'm this body. And, and I have a nervous system and I have ways of doing and being because I have this body that I can play in and that has uh, certain ways of seeing things and feeling things because of how it's developed. Okay, great. And it's bumping into and interacting with other bodies and in other physical spaces. And what's holding all of that is, is this kind of non-temporal, non-form-based uh, field. Mm -hmm. And that's also me. Like I'm the form, but I'm also the formless because it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So then is there a way, I don't even, like I have thoughts and feelings, but it's, I don't think we're going to get into it today. But is there a way for me to relate as that level of me? So I have the form-based level of me, and then I have this field-based level of me that that is holding the physical me. And if I relate to or as that formless level, what does that mean or do? Now, to me, anyone who's had a truly transcendent experience, that's what's occurring. Mm -hmm. they're, they're now relating to something that is not limited by their physical form or their conditioning, and it changes, it fundamentally changes their perception of reality. Mm -hmm. Now, you can do that 
chemically with substances and, and psychedelics, but through meditation, through traumatic experience, through a bunch of other pathways, we can have this transcendent experience that is beyond time. Mm -hmm. It happens that we experience it in our body, and so then there's a temporal component. But to me, the real touch, the real direct contact is a non-temporal experience of, of, of deeper reality or the, of the space where we can actually interact with what, what is 500 years from now. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, I'm not shocked or, or kind of freaked out by that. Yeah. And I'm also aware that we can do funny things with that, right? We can make up stories. And, and to me, it's, it's not so important the, the details. Like, so say I get into a transcendent experience and I'm visited by a being or some intelligence and they tell me something. The details of that to me are less important than the quality of presence that's there in it. So yeah. like you talked about this, this heart you connected into the mm -hmm. heart of this other that was well beyond you in terms of like they're more evolved, they're more advanced, whatever, however you want to say it. Yeah. So that quality of evolution in their conscious presence is really worth taking in mm -hmm. and like letting it fill you. I don't know what your techniques are. Maybe you can share a little bit more, but, but to me, that's a real, that's a real forward movement in our growth and development as a human being. When we, when we experience those things, when we let in the truth of what they represent, that's a, that's a profound movement forward. Yeah. A question that I ask students or people that come and do the future life progression meditation is how often do you just focus on your heart? Like how often in a day do you just stop and you go, I'm going to look at my heart. Chances are it's usually almost none or very often. And with that, I'll, I'll lead into, okay, so what relationship do you have with your own presence? You know, not so much the knowledge and your ability to converse and your ability to comprehend things, just simply how you're feeling and how that's going out. And so when you bridge those two together in going into your heart and then feeling your presence, that's where I feel that moment of that like transcendent kind of experience can start to seep in a little bit. And the more and more we can do this, the more and more we can really settle into our heart, feel our presence and feel that there's this interconnection that's happening, that there's knowledge and wisdom in that. And there's a kind of dialogue that is created and that we can receive uh, this kind of information that is going to help with that evolution of ourselves and help with the inspiration to make more life-changing decisions and answer a fundamental question of how can we kind of better humanity? And so it starts with that first instance, right, of just ourselves of, oh, maybe I can connect with my heart more. What does that mean? Well, that can mean just closing my eyes for a moment and feeling my heartbeat and feeling that space and breathing into it and seeing if there's any alteration. And then 
that alteration is like, oh, maybe that's my presence. And then so once that alteration happens, they're like, okay, that's my presence, and then feel into the presence. And it's like, oh, wow, I haven't really taken the time to feel what the bottom of my feet feel like, what my palms feel like, what my legs, my arms coming out of my body feels like, and all of that together. I've just been so focused on what thoughts are like rummaging around in my left brain, right? So I think that's a good starting point. And then the more profound and more in-depth um, kind of transcendent experience is a labor. I really do feel that it's something that you have to choose. Okay, now for me to go from here to this unknown, I have to trust that these practices, the yoga, the changing my diet, the meditation, the presence, the real deep active listening, the decisions to be a loving, kinding person is going to help with reaching that unknown in that deeper presence and transcendence possibly. I like, I mean, the question of how much time do you spend in your heart or relating to your heart? Um, it's so good because my sense is, is like you, most people, it's none or very little. Mm-hmm. And, and I, even people who might think of themselves as very heartful people, I think there's often a mistake between being a, an emotionally warm person and being in your heart. To mm-hmm. me, the heart actually precedes emotion. Mm-hmm. The heart is like the genesis of, of what I call essential experience. So I, I had an ayahuasca experience in the fall and, and I essentially had a birth experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I was having the, the very kind of raw, the, the rawest breath you can imagine where it's like the lungs experiencing oxygen for the first time, yeah. experiencing air for the first time. And, and there was something touching my nervous system in the, in the intake of breath and it rippled through my body. It was intense. It was exquisite. It was feeling without a label, mm-hmm. without any delineation or category. And, and what I notice, especially in the work that I do, because a lot of the work I've done includes this kind of somatic awareness piece and awareness of sensation in the body is that when we start to relate to experience as something that doesn't have labels, it doesn't have stories, mm-hmm. it's just a, a, a essential experience, our relationship with our body changes. Yeah. And, and, and that relationship with the body to me is through our relationship with the heart. So when I'm willing to be in my heart, which is, is a state of, of open presence that precedes experience, and then from that place of kind of uh, pure awareness, you might call it, can then touch that first level of experience that has no label and no category. And then, okay, you, if you want, you can talk about sadness or joy. Or, but if you come from that heart place, your ability to see gets dialed up. You yeah. know, like, because then you're bringing something that is free of story to your perception of what's unfolding in the present moment. So th- anyway, I'm just kind of resonating with what you're speaking about and, and how little people do it generally. 
and how profoundly it transforms us when we start to do it regularly. Yeah. Just being in the heart. And, and an emphasis that I, that I like to make is that it's such an amazing addition to your general life. Cause, cause I think a lot of people have this idea that if they were to start meditation and start yoga and start that, it's just going to like snowball into them, like quitting their job, leaving and then going off and then like never to ever talking to their family. It's like, no, like if, if your life is your life, going into your heart and radiating that love and that, that realm of compassion and empathy is going to be an addition to everything. And, and what I see is that it will help just rearrange things because then maybe it'll draw um, awareness to some people that are like, actually, you know, what? like some of these people don't really treat me well. And that wouldn't have happened if you didn't go into your heart and feel how it's going to guide you towards those realizations. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So in the podcast, often I like to ask guests if there's any particular conversations they've had in their lives that for them, they could see like it changed things. Like I was going this way and then that conversation, you know, click and there's a new trajectory. I'm curious if there were any experiences, interactions or conversations with people throughout your life that you feel like made a massive impact. And, and essentially the reason I'm asking that question is because I'd like to, in the, in the journey of this podcast, begin to uh, make sense of and identify the active ingredient in those kinds of transformational conversations. Like what, what was mm-hmm. it about them, the relationship and the conversation that changed you? So yeah, if you have anything like that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, what I found in my life that profound conversations that really helped me like reclaim like a power in my life didn't, actually come from anyone like notably spiritual or on that kind of path. It came from people in my life that told me that I wasn't capable of doing something. And, you know, I'm a musician as well and I've been playing guitar since I was 15. So I've, you know, it's been about 16 years. And I remember when I was 19, a friend of uh, just like childhood friends, um, uh, we would party at this house a lot. And I just remember one night I had a guitar. It was about, yeah, like three years in, four years in of playing guitar. And I still was terrible. And a really good friend of mine who I've known all my life looks at me and he says, you suck. And you need to actually literally stop playing guitar put it down and never touch it again because anything that you're doing right now is just terrible. And it lit this fire in me and it wasn't anger. It wasn't like, um, like repulsion. It was this amazing like confidence that I'm going to actually pursue it even stronger. And I looked at him and I was like, you know what? Thank you for saying that because I'm never going to stop playing guitar and I'm going to continue playing and I will show to you and myself that I'm going to get better. And I just find just personally in my life that those moments of someone being like, you need to stop this. And it's an obvious passion of mine. I'm like, 
no, like that's now going to propel me even further. And a few years later, after I took different kind of music lessons and I really dialed into playing like four to five hours a day and just really studying that I was just at his house and I was playing his dad's guitar and he comes around the corner. He was like, were you playing that? And I was like, yeah, he's like, dude, that sounds amazing. And I was like, right. And we had this like just awesome moment of laughing and being like, yeah, like I did it. You know, I proved to myself, I proved to my friend and I just see those moments really valuable because I think um, what can happen is that when we have someone close to us that just shuts down something that we just love, we can, uh, you know, we just like crater in and we can go into this depression. But I like to encourage people to use that moment to like really feel into the like fieriness that can be there and to like let it kind of propel you in, in what you're doing. Yeah. I am one of the best uses for that energy. Yeah. Cool. And you ha you you're, are you in the studio right now? I know you talked about releasing an album. Where, what's so, going on? So, uh, John Atonic and I just finished. So we spent the last six months working on my first album. Um, I really love to think that he's done so much work on it because all I did really is just provide the um, like the rhythm and the melodies and the harmonies just for the guitar parts. And then he filled the whole space with everything else and really transformed these pieces of music that I just had recorded in my phone for years. And that finally it's, it's come to light and, uh, come to life. So we are planning to do official launch in September um, I do have a music page on Instagram called zoranunda.music. And so I have a couple of videos up right now. I'll have um, 10 more in the next month. And I'm going to have um, my violin teacher, Marin, who now lives in Ottawa. She's going to actually accompany me and do um, violin and viola um, tracks with it. So um maybe, yeah maybe really. a live concert in september if we're allowed possibly i i like haven't even thought about how we would do it but that would be yeah that'd be wonderful yeah cool yeah so if uh if people are wanting to seek you out find you other than the zorananda.music on instagram yeah. is there another place for them to connect with you yeah zorananda or yogi zorananda on instagram i like doing most of my content on instagram it does kind of um, stream into my Facebook pages, but I would rather just kind of stick to my Instagram. So mm -hmm. yeah, yogi.zorananda for all the yoga and life stuff. And then zorananda.music for all my music stuff. Cool. And you're sharing uh, meditation, philosophy, yoga practice. That's not all that stuff's happening on your Instagram. The, yeah. The, the yogi. So, um, starting July 1st, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but we'll see. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so basically July onward is going to be more so focused on my book. Cause that's when I officially, um, put it into my publisher and the release date will be January 1st. So I'll be campaigning very strongly to get pre-sales and I have a full recording of all the meditations as well that I did with John. So you'll get the book, you'll get the, um, meditations and the music because the music is also like uh complementary to all of this yeah yeah right on man yeah 
well, it sounds like you're you're on your path. Yeah. Doing some cool stuff and I uh, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Thank you as well. This is really great. Yeah. So I'll make sure that the information to reach out to Zoran is on the podcast description. And uh, as uh, he mentioned, you can find him on Instagram. Yeah. Great. Thanks, man. Yeah. All the welcome. best. Thanks. Cool. You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper.